and insights, unpredictable conversations, encouragement for your day. It's the Patrick Madrid Show on Relevant Radio. Okay, welcome back. This is hour two, and the number is the same, 888-914-9149. The song remains the same, too. That's different, though. Ah. That was good, though. I snuck that in there. 888-914-9149. You can call that number. We'll have you on the air. Hey, I and have a email. I have a great email, Patrick. That just oh, I was up. just going to mention email. So yeah, th- this is yeah. this is real. You'll like this. This is from Dustin in California. Hi, Patrick. This is Dustin in California. Just wanted to say that I love your show and I love listening to you. You are like the. This is this is really nice. You are like the Catholic father figure that everyone needs in their lives. In a way, I consider myself your unofficial, unofficially adopted twelfth son. It's because of you and Relevant Radio that makes our days easier. Oh, that is so nice. That's from Dustin? Dustin in California. Thanks, Dustin. Wow. I mean, it it makes me feel great, Dustin, to know that you enjoy the show that much and your kindness toward me. I do appreciate it. Um, What can I say? Very thoughtful of you, and thank you. That was nice, Cyrus. That was real nice. Make sure Father Rocky sees that one. That's really cool. (laughs) <laughs> do you have another one yeah i was just thinking they're not all nice uh yeah I you got, got a, you got a nasty gram in there yeah and i think this is i think this is for me uh and it says uh i'll just leave it anonymous well no mg whoever mg is in albuquerque uh the subject line is important so this is important patrick i know this message i know this message will never get to patrick but if it does, let him know that if he's ever looking for an adult to manage his show, he can reach out to me. So, all right, MG. Uh, you think that's directed at you? I think th- I think so. Yeah. Well, you're just a you're just a nice guy, Cyrus. Why would anyone say something mean to you? I, May, I know what it is. I know what it is. We played the Jeopardy game. He thinks that's frivolous. It would be my guess. That could so be, you're too fun in games for him. Maybe so. I don't know. I, I did play a little bit of boy zone. So if, if that's the case, then MG is 100% correct. <laughs> Maybe an yeah. adult should be running the show. That would be a very difficult penance, a Lenten penance. I'm going to listen to that song by that group <laughs> every day for the rest of Lent. Um, well, MG, I, I don't know how to interpret what you're saying, but if it's a compliment, thank you. If it's not, hey, thanks for continuing to listen anyway. And I appreciate that. And it shows that it's, he says this message will never get to Patrick. All of oh, the yeah? messages get to Patrick. All, all, There's so many, and they all get to him. Yeah, and I appreciate them, even if you don't like what we do. I think most people do. But uh, if, MG, if it's not suitable to you, I, I can understand. But, hey, you know, that's what it is. So thank you for listening nonetheless, and thanks for reading that, Cyrus. 888-914-9149. And let's go now to uh, Ellen in Maine. Good morning, Ellen. Uh, good morning. Yes, ma'am. Hello? Yes, welcome. Okay. Um, I just have uh, three questions, and then I have a thought on a fourth. <laughs> oh. um, I am wondering how many i am not catholic i am protestant i'm methodist um but i have been listening to the station since 2013 thank you and um i love it 
Um, I love Relevant Radio. It has helped in so many ways. I do have uh, some questions that I can't seem to find in the Bible. Um, How many years between when Adam and Eve was created to when Jesus was born? I can look that up, Ellen. Um, It depends on how you... How, how you seek to answer the question. If you seek to use as literal numbers the lifespan of the various um, figures in the, in the Old Testament. So Adam lived to be, what was it, 800 years old. Um, Methuselah, I think, one of his descendants was the longest in terms of the number of years that are attributed to him. So if you were to look, and, and people have done this, they have tabulated all of these generations as given in Scripture. And they've come up with a figure. And as I recall, the figure is, to the present day at least, somewhere in the neighborhood of about 6,000 years, using that way of approaching it. And so if you deduct roughly 2,000 years and a little bit more, that would get you down to somewhere in the 4,000-year range. Now, I personally don't think that is in any way an accurate assessment of how much time went by between Adam and the time of Jesus. I think much more time went by, and the biblical the biblical truth that we're told there is true, but it's true properly understood, and I don't think it was intended. I don't think that all of those things are necessarily intended to be understood literally. I don't have any reason to think that Adam and his descendants early on lived very long lives, well into the hundreds and hundreds of years, because their bodies were nearly perfect having come from the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, that is. So there was no, there were no pathologies that had been built up in the human family at that time. There were no cancers and things of that nature. Those took time to build up, at least that's my understanding of it. Therefore, it seems reasonable to me to assume that they lived many, many more years than we do typically today. But in any case, I don't think there is a way to know exactly how many years have elapsed from the time of Adam and Eve to the time of Jesus. And that's probably the best answer I can give. So my next question is, um, when Jesus was born, was it because there was so much destruction and um, slavery that God just needed to send his son to help straighten out the world. And Mm -hmm. if that is the case, I don't know. When Jesus comes again, I mean, I fully believe he's going to come again. Mm -hmm. Um, It seems like there's been so many years past uh, our world is in such a mess that it's like how much worse can it get before Jesus comes and straightens us out or whatever and yeah. it's it's just hard um, but it, you know it's interesting when you say that the, because it may, it reminds me of what the Lord himself said about when I return to judge, will there be any faith on earth? In other words, 
I mean, there will, of course, be people who are faithful to the Lord. There still will be believers. There still will be, you know, the elect. But it sounds as though when he asks that question, as if maybe he's, he's suggesting that um, it's going to be so bad that one could wonder, is there anybody who's faithful anymore? So as bad as things are now, and we have to keep this in perspective, of course, but there have been worse eras in human history than there are now. We just know about it more now really? because we have you know, instantaneous 24-7 bombardment of news and information. In the olden days, <laughs> prior to the advent of the Internet, um, people had to wait for the radio to come on or they had to wait for the newspaper. And Before that, they didn't have those ways of knowing all the things that were going on in the world. But I think part of it for us, for you and me now, is we have the impression that things are so terrible because we hear about so many things all at once, all the time. But I think that if Jesus, if we can interpret what he says in that rhetorical question, will there be any faith left on earth when I return? I suspect he's he's pointing toward how bad it will get by the end of time, and that's I, my thinking is it's probably going to be a whole lot worse than it is now. And there's a whole lot of good, too. I mean, there's a lot of good right now, a lot of good things, thanks be to God. But maybe it won't be that way whenever the end is, whenever that may be. Okay. Um, my next one is to go with in vitro. Mm-hmm. Um, and my grandson is from in vitro and mm-hmm. adopted um, embryo. Um, my second grandchild is from regular adoption. Um, and I bet you love your grandchildren I, dearly, right? Um, the adopted embryo is not um, my son's sperm or my daughter's uh, egg. Mm-hmm. Um, they adopted an embryo, and um, it, it's been a long journey. I know that God is with my grandchildren. I know he is, um, just for the miraculous up that has happened to him mm-hmm. and to our family. Uh, what I'm the embryos that are there, how is it any different than putting a child up for adoption? I want to make sure I understand what you're asking me, Ellen. So this child that you're referring to, your grandchild, who has no flesh and blood connection to you nor to his putative parents because his genetic background comes from two other people, right? Another man and another woman. Do I have that part right? right? Okay. And so does the, the one that was adopted the regular way. He has no genetic of, of my son and daughter-in-law. Right. And it's like, how is, when they're going about it in the right way, um, mm-hmm. in a religious way, how is that adopted embryo any different than adopting a child? A full okay, child, I think I understand full- that now. 
I think I understand better what you mean now. So there is no difference in kind in the sense that you have a child who's born of other parents biologically, but is adopted and raised by another set of parents who love him and accept him and welcome him to the family. So in kind, in terms of you have somebody who's not flesh and blood related being adopted, it's the same in both cases. But the difference with IVF and regular adoption is that the regular adoption occurs after a child has been conceived and presumably, let's just assume for the sake of discussion that the child was conceived in the natural way between a mother and a father who were unable for whatever reason to take care of the child and he's put up for adoption and then he's adopted to his adoptive family. He was conceived in the marital act. He was conceived within the context of the intimacy between the mother and the father. And he was nine months in his mother's womb. He's born and eventually he's adopted. In vitro fertilization is not that. In vitro fertilization is where either the sperm and the egg of the parents themselves, the husband and the wife, are used, and the conception takes place, as you, I'm sure, already know, it takes place in, a, in glass, which is what in vitro means, in glass, in a, in a test tube. Remember when they used to call them test tube babies? And, and this may, may be in the case of, of when the two parents contribute for this, and yet it takes place outside of the context of human intimacy, the intimacy between the husband and the wife. Worse yet is where it's not even the husband and the wife, as bad as that scenario is in IVF. There's a worse scenario, which is you have utterly different people, a different woman, a different man who are not, you know, obviously they're not the husband and the wife. And so now it, it puts it even one step further it doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with the child conceived in conception. We love these children. We welcome them. We, we're grateful to God for the blessing of children. But in, in this scenario of IVF, it is the opposite of married love. It's a, a laboratory experiment, in other words, one that has been perfected so that the results are very, very much assured, um, not guaranteed, but assured. So that's the distinction between the two. And for what it's worth, the Catholic Church says in vitro fertilization is never morally permissible. We can understand the motives of parents. We can say, we certainly understand and we commiserate with you. If you really, really want to have a child and it's not happening, we can be compassionate and kind and understanding toward parents who are in that difficult situation. But the Church says, nonetheless, the ends do not justify the means. And even though it's a good end to have a child— who wouldn't want a child? I mean, there are some people, I suppose, but right-thinking normal people, mother and father or, or husband and wife, would welcome a child. So the church says, pray to God and ask him for this gift. If it's his will, he will give this to you. If not, he won't. But don't take matters into your own hands and play God and and wind up forcing the situation through in vitro fertilization which has all of these harms and all of these problems associated with it. I'll pause there, Ellen. Does that answer your question, or am I off the mark here? Uh, no, it answers as to why, but the bottom line is there are so many embryos. Mm-hmm. That not it better? 
that they are born. Oh, it would be, yes. Oh, gosh, yes. So if there were a way for these embryos to come to full term and be born, every every child has a right. Every unborn child has a right. That's what we mean, of course, when we talk about the right to life that extends to the earliest moments of conception. That's a human being who has a right to live. So yes, 100%, it would be wonderful if we could figure out a way to do that. The complicating factor here is that as the Catholic Church looks at this, it says, wait a minute, wait a minute. If we're talking about embryo adoption, it results in the introduction into the womb of the mother or the wife, let's say, in a married couple, of the child who is conceived by another couple. In other words, it's a surrogacy if we're talking about an adoption. And that would, the Church says, also violate the principle of the... um, What's the word I'm looking for here? The uh, um, oh, there's a term and it's escaping my mind. But the um, that the husband and the wife are only for each other. There's no third party that enters into the marriage, and that's what this would effectively do. You know, oh, exclusivity. That's the word I'm looking for. So the exclu- exclusivity of the husband and the wife for each other, with no third party or fourth party involved. That lifelong exclusivity in marriage and the Marriage Act is part of this issue. So it's a real dilemma, a real dilemma, because we have all these embryos now, these little people who are on ice indefinitely, cryogenically preserved. What a hideous thing to do that, to do to them. Or in the case of those who are not cryogenically preserved, they're destroyed, they're killed. And it's a terrible, terrible quandary to be in. And at the moment, at least, the Catholic Church says no, embryo adoption is not permissible for the reasons I just mentioned. I wonder, though, Ellen, if that might modify over time. I think the Catholic Church has barely, has kind of just a little bit left the door open to the possibility that perhaps in due time the, the, the posture on this might change. I don't know. But currently, I think the answer is no. So it puts us all in a very terrible predicament because what do we do with these unborn children? We want to save them. We want to help them. And the damnable thing about all of it is the way in which technology is being used to force this issue. And now we have all of these hapless, tiny people who are stuck in this limbo or they're being killed as a result. It's just a terrible thing. It's a Pandora's box. My next question I'm afraid, Ellen, I'm so sorry. I ran out of time. Um, do me a favor. Call me another time. You know, we'll take, a, we'll take a break and then call me another time and we'll pick it up where we left off with that last question of yours. Thank you, though. These are all good questions. And I'll be right back. Thanks to network sponsor PushPay. PushPay offers parishes a platform for tracking donations and sacraments, overseeing schedules, mobile apps to help manage your administrative load, and much more. Info at relevantradio.com slash pushpay. That's relevantradio.com slash pushpay. Can't touch this. Can't touch this. 
touch this. Get connected to the conversation. Call now. You can't touch this. 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. Patrick Madrid is on now. Relevant radio. Even Cyrus is dancing. Not just the little kids. That's an experiment, moms. Try it sometime. You'll see. They will start dancing. 888-914-9149. Call that number. We'll get you on the air. Uh, let's go to Marie now in Bakersfield. Hi, Marie. Hi, Patrick. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Um, thank you. Um, I'm thinking about a question, Patrick, and I'm hoping that you can help me. I'll try. Yes. Okay, so um, my question is in regards to fornication. Um, I know these uh, millennials nowadays are just, putting on a white dress and a tuxedo and then they're calling that a wedding. And then um, our third generation sees that as an actual wedding. Um, so mm-hmm. I want you to kind of allude to, is that a sin to just um, go get married in the park and then move in with your in-laws and, you know, um, mm-hmm. the sin of all of that. Okay. Let's, let me take a step back from that and, and I'm going to talk about this in two different ways. So one way will be when a Catholic is involved, and the other way will be when a Catholic is not involved. Okay? okay. Let's start with the second version. So keeping in mind that God is the one who established marriage as an institution in the Garden of Eden, as Jesus says in Matthew 19, he says, in the beginning God made them male and female. And this is why a man leaves his parents and clings to his wife, and the two become one flesh. And what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. You can tell I've quoted that passage a few times because I have it memorized. And it's a very important passage because it, it gives us the paradigm that God handed to humanity when it comes to marriage. It's between one man and one woman, and it's a natural institution. We could say it's a supernatural institution insofar as it was instituted by God, but it predates all religion. That's what I mean by a natural institution. It's not a religious thing unto itself. It can be, and often is, and we'll get to that in a minute. But for this reason, if, let's say, two atheists wanted to get married in the park, you could go and celebrate, because they would be entering into a natural marriage. And that's good. It's ordained by God. A Hindu and a Buddhist, a, a you know, a Muslim and a Hindu, two Muslims, two atheists, you know, any combination thereof, in which you have two unbaptized people, or even in the case of two baptized people, let's say two Baptists want to get married in the park, you can go to that wedding, you can go to the reception, you can enjoy all the festivities, and they're not doing anything wrong if they were married in front of the justice of the peace or let's say the vice president of the United States, or the captain of a ship, or some some figure who has the legal, recognized legal authority to preside over a wedding, justice of the peace, judge, whatever, that's good. And so you can go and celebrate. So for that reason, these people are not sinning if they get married at the park or at the bowling alley or at the Texaco station or wherever it is they want to get married. They're fine in doing that, and God smiles on that, assuming, of course, that they're eligible to get married to each other. Now, in the case of the second category, if there's a Catholic involved, this is where things change. And that is that 
the church's law requires as a requirement for the validity of the marriage that the Catholic party or Catholic parties, if both are Catholic, they must get married in the Catholic church and the wedding must be witnessed by an official representative of the church, a.k.a. a bishop, priest, or deacon. And that minister duly he duly witnesses the marriage and blesses the marriage in the name of the church. That's a requirement for validity. It's not a requirement for validity for anyone else who's not a Catholic because they're entering into this natural marriage, justice of the peace, what have you. So that's why it's important to distinguish between the two so that if you're saying, can I go to my coworker's wedding? She and her and her you know, fiancé are going to get married in the park. Neither one of them is Catholic. The answer is yes. Go, celebrate, eat some wedding cake, dance, etc. If one of the parties is Catholic and wants to get married in the park, then the answer would be no because that would invalidate not you going, but the way in which they're getting married would render the marriage null. It would not be valid in the eyes of the church because Catholics have not only rights and privileges, but also duties and responsibilities, one of which is to be married in the church. So I'll leave it at that. And it depends now on how you're asking the question and who it is you're talking about getting married. Does that make it clearer now? Yes, and this is definitely dividing our family because um, uh, my sister-in-law is cradle Catholic, and she got together and married, supposedly it's a Jehovah Witness at the park. And my in-laws, they're third generation, they think, oh, well, they're married. They were wearing a white dress. It's, uh, you know, it was official, but it's like, no, it, it's not an official wedding because she's cradle Catholic. Right. He's Jehovah Witness. It, there was never a deacon. There was never a priest. And to make it make things worse, she's living in their house and she's, I mean, she goes to confession and she receives the ostia. So for mm-hmm. us, it's like it's a division because she's sinning and you're sinning as well. Right. So this is the, in that second category then, Marie. I'm sorry to hear the situation is what it is. But, I mean, talk to her, try to talk some sense into her, explain it to her. This is not even a valid natural marriage, but it could be one if she were to take the right steps with the church and have the marriage convalidated. Now, if the gentleman is a Jehovah's Witness uh, who was born and raised Jehovah's Witness— and was never validly baptized, their baptisms are not valid, then it would be a natural marriage. But it could be valid. The church can convalidate that, and she can live happily ever after. It's not ideal, but it's better than the situation she's in now. But my advice would be, even though it's a difficult situation, don't reject her, don't scorn her, don't repudiate her, but but love her and encourage her to do the right thing and get her marriage convalidated. And I think if the family says, you know what, what you did is wrong, but we still love you, and we still want you to be happy, and we can give you guidance and and suggestions, and don't forget, God loves you, and he wants you to be happy, and this this is not the way to go about that, but we can show you how to do it. I mean, I see a lot of upside there, you know what I mean? Yes. Thank you, Patrick. You've been a great help. You're welcome. Thank you, Marie. Lead with kindness, I think, is always the best way to do it, right? Lead with kindness, lead with compassion, lead with love. 
doesn't mean that you don't speak the truth in love. You have to speak the truth and tell somebody where it's at for his or her own eternal salvation, if nothing else. That's the most important thing of all, after all. But lead with love and be be compassionate. That's, I think, the thing that maybe is the most, maybe it's the most difficult thing to do because emotions are high and the parents feel betrayed and the family feels irritated and there's division because some family members are like, ah, it's no big deal. What are you, some Jesus freak stick in the mud? You're not going to go to the wedding. How ridiculous. How judgmental. I mean, a lot of pain and division arises with things like this. So to help minimize that, especially if you are the one who is saying, you know, like Hall and Oates, I can't go for that. There are ways to soften that, speaking the truth in love, when you keep that smile on your face. Don't get angry. Don't slam the door, shut the door. Um, and and offer offer solutions. And there are solutions. These are not insurmountable problems. So something to think about, no doubt. 888-914-9149. We'll go to Kristen now in Austin, Texas. Good morning, Kristen. Good morning, Patrick. How are you? Doing well, thank you. Good. I have a question about my brother-in-law who has been married for over 16 years and he uh, is getting divorced. He caught his wife in her second affair. And my question is, I'm not sure what to encourage him to do. Tell do me I, a little bit about their marriage. They're both Catholic or is one Catholic and the other's not? They're both Catholic. They have three children. Okay. Um, she and I are very close, very close. And I am shocked. Are they, for lack of a better word, devout Catholics? I mean, have they been going to church on Sunday and getting their kids baptized, things like that? And she's now gone berserk, or was she never really devout, or what kind of a situation are we talking about? She she showed herself to be very devout. At times, I would think, I really want to be more like her. Like, mm-hmm. she gets up, she does her Bible study, she, she's been the head of retreats. Like, it's, it's seemingly shocking to all of us that mm-hmm. she did this. Mm-hmm. I know a man, for what it's worth, Kristen, who was married for nearly 40 years, married to a wonderful, wonderful woman. Nancy and I knew this couple from the time of when we were fairly newly married, and so were they. Um, A bunch of kids, good Catholics, you know, homeschool, you name it. And he walked away from this wonderful wife of his. It's inexplicable why, why people do things like that. Um, I mean, we, we know, well, oh, look, she's pretty. I'll go after her. I mean, we know the base motives that a lot of people follow. But in this case, Kristen, um, she's now had two affairs. Is she at all contrite? Is she yeah, she interested says, you in know, her marriage? Yeah. Oh, yeah. She's so sorry, and she'll do anything. But, you know, they've already been through that one time. Mm-hmm. And so it's very you hard for him her. Right. She can't be trusted. Mm-hmm. Well, the few things come to mind. Number one is that I would propose that the the number one goal, if possible, is to restore the marriage, to find a way to reconcile. 
And maybe the trust is so broken that it's an uneasy reconciliation, but that's better than a divorce with all the harm that that brings, especially since they have children. Their children can't be adults yet, right? The kids are teenagers no, and younger. they're very young. They're yeah. um, like 11, 7, and 5. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that would be devastating to those children and in ways that they can't, that the parents can't calculate. Children are, right. are just devastated by this. So and I'm sure you know all these things. So what to do, what to do? I, my thought would be, number one, if they if they're willing, especially him, to go to a retrovi weekend, I mentioned it earlier in the show today. Helpourmarriage.org is the website, and they have okay. weekends all around the country. There certainly will be any number to choose from in your area in, in Texas. And if she's willing and she wants to restore the marriage, then by all means, I would say they should book a weekend and go because that's a group that specializes in precarious on the rocks marriages just like this one you know where it's, it, okay. it looks like there's no hope whatsoever these weekends can help couples like that okay and it may be something where until she's i mean he he has every right not to accept her back into the marriage bed he has every right not to accept her back under the same roof as is himself and the children because of what she's done. She's forfeited the right to live with him that way, but she's still his wife. And so to seek restoration doesn't mean that he has to say, well, all right, you get, you know, come on back. You know, he doesn't have to do that. He he can keep her at arm's length and the church foresees situation like this. I mentioned earlier, there's something called a canonical separation where for this kind of thing, the, the, the uh, what's the aggrieved spouse, in which case, in this case, it's him. The aggrieved mm-hmm. spouse can say, you know, pack up and move out. We're still married and we're going to work on this, but you don't have the right to live with me the way you did before. And we'll see what happens. That's what they're, that's what they're doing right now. Mm-hmm. He, he made her leave. Yeah. So he hasn't it's a, it's for a divorce tragic yet, situation. But. Yeah, I hope they so can sad. avoid divorce. I hope so. I really hope so. Because even if they got divorced, it doesn't mean that they're not still married. Because right. the church presumes that their marriage is valid. Right. It's such a mess. Yeah. Now, the the upside here, of course, is that God's grace is more powerful than their sin, her sin. And God mm-hmm. can restore things that seem irreparably broken and God can work miracles and does work miracles if both spouses are willing. He can help right. them overcome the hurt and the betrayal. So I'm hopeful that that's the route that your brother-in-law will take in her. Yeah. I hope so, too. Yeah. Get in touch with them at help our, helpourmarriage.org. Okay. Okay. They have good resources, but they specialize in helping couples with these weekends. Okay, perfect. I will, and I'll pass it along to him. Okay, thank you so much. You're welcome. I know it's a difficult situation, but we'll all say a prayer for this couple. Let's do that. All right, we'll take a break and come back. The number again, 888-914-9149, sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters, 888-914-9149.
Big-time gratitude to Charity Mobile for sponsoring the Patrick Madrid Show. They're a pro-life cell phone company with nationwide coverage and no contracts. You can choose from the latest phones or bring your own. New customers can mention Patrick for a free phone or another offer. Info at CharityMobile.com. You can believe in the Patrick Madrid Show on Relevant Radio. Sorry, she'll like this one. Dustin, remember the Dustin who wrote in a little while ago? Said I was like his father figure. Yeah, that was nice. It was nice. He wrote another one and he says, Hey, it's Dustin from California again. Figured I should follow up with my previous email. He says, I also consider Cyrus my unofficial adopted brother. Hey, all right, brother from another mother. I love it. There you go. I thought he was going to say like his bachelor uncle or something like that, but he said brother. <laughs> that that would have worked too. Yeah, that's neat. Thank you, Dustin. 888-914-9149. Uh, how about Richard now in Lehigh Valley, PA? Good morning, Richard. Good morning, Patrick. Uh, I have, I'd like you get your thoughts on how my wife and I handle a up-and-coming family situation. Okay. We have a grandchild graduating from college. Uh, our son, his father, um, is renting a B&B for the weekend. Okay. And uh, the arrangements are that uh, one of the grand, a young adult grandchildren, child, uh, a granddaughter, is going to be sharing a bedroom with her boyfriend. They don't live together. And we're up in the air as to, you know, sh- should we decline staying with them and, and say we're just going to stay somewhere else. We're not sure how, sure how to, hand, to handle this without destroying a family relationship. You're okay. Yeah. Well, you're the patriarch, right? Because these are your children and grandchildren. That's right? correct. And is the family Catholic? Yes. What? Yeah. Um, yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Well, I think the thing for you to do is to say, no, we're not going to do that. We believe in Jesus. We're followers of Jesus. And that's a sin. And we, we love everyone and want them to be happy, but we don't want to see anybody committing a serious sin like that. So, no, the boyfriend can come over and have, you know, barbecue and whatever the fun things are during the day. But when the day is over and people go to bed, he's not staying here. You know, he's going to go somewhere else. Now, if it's a big enough place, can he stay in the, can he sleep on the couch in the game room? Yeah, okay, he can do that. that that's, what I'm get, that's what I'm wondering. That or if they put all the boys together in one, the men together in, in, you know, one bedroom, that kind of a thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't, as, you know, if I were your son, for example, I wouldn't want to be relegated to a room with all the boys if I was an adult, so... He's he's the Lone Ranger. I don't think I would be yeah. looking to move the family members into a, a dorm situation like that. But if there were a place where he could be accommodated on a couch and okay. he knows you're not sleeping with my granddaughter, you're not going to okay. be in that room, you're not going to go in that room, but okay. you can sleep on the couch, I can see that. That, that seems reasonable to me. If it's okay. not possible or feasible to do that, then I'd say, hey, we're more than happy to have you over and we're going to have a lot of fun and it's going to be great. But at the end of the day, you go to your 
hotel room or you go to your Airbnb or whatever, but there's no way, there is no way you're going to sleep in the same room with my granddaughter, son. Nope. That's just how it is. Okay. And if the situation is that they're not going to change, uh, my one thought is that my wife and I would say we're staying somewhere else, but we'll attend the graduation. Yeah, that's You're another option. But I would I would make that a point, though, to say you are not going to sleep in the same room with my granddaughter. Now, your son should be saying that. I mean, her father should be the one to I say know. it. So shame on him if he's not willing to stand up for his daughter. But uh, you're the patriarch, Yeah, you know? Yeah, I don't know that. Okay. I'm not trying to cast aspersions on her father. I mean, he may be a great guy. No. What I'm saying is that if he's not willing to stand up and protect his daughter, then it falls to you to do that. Yeah. Okay. I appreciate it, and thank you very much, and have a great weekend. You're welcome. Thank you. Boy, I have so many questions about that situation. You know, one question, if, if Richard and I had talked further, one question would be, what's going through the granddaughter's mind? You know, if she thinks, yeah, that's fine, it should be okay. Well, you know, Houston, we have a problem because there's something with her now that needs to be addressed. Uh, but we didn't have a chance to get into those things. But, hey, dads, you know what? You are your daughter's defender. This is why dads traditionally, at least, walk their daughters down the aisle at their weddings, the, the girl's wedding, and you hand her off to the new man in her life. You are the patriarch. You are the, you are the father. You have that responsibility in a good and loving way. Don't get me wrong. And so even just the tradition of the father walking his daughter down the aisle at her wedding, and then as she goes into the arms of her beloved and you step away, that is a rite of passage for you and for her. Because she's now passing out of your fatherly jurisdiction into the sacrament of marriage with her husband, who's the new man in her, in her life. And it's a beautiful thing, but I mean, please, dads, do not, do not relinquish, do not abdicate, do not fail to stand up, especially for your daughters, and defend them, defend their virginity, defend their integrity, defend them as your beloved daughters, because there are plenty of rascals out there who will be more than happy to take her down roads that you don't that you don't want her to go down because you know that it would be sinful for her. So don't be afraid of conflict. Don't be afraid to be a loving, firm dad who says, no, honey, no, we're not going to do that. Nope. That's right. Don't be afraid. I mean, for what it's worth, and you may say, yeah, well, what do you... Well, I'm not an expert, that's for sure. But I'll tell you, I did have to run a couple of different guys at different times. I had to run those guys off who were trying really hard to uh, date my daughters, and then some. And I knew it, and I saw what was happening. No, uh, you know, No aspersions on my daughters. They were innocent and... I knew what this guy really was after in both cases. And so I, you know, physically, I mean, I didn't get in a fight or anything. I'm not proposing that. What I'm saying is that I, I got in between this guy and my daughter, and it happened two different times, two different daughters, two different guys. 
And I said, you are not welcome here anymore. You are not going to be here. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You're not dating my daughter. Well, it's not yours. You know what? It is my decision. Well, I don't know what your daughter thinks. Well, it doesn't matter because you're not dating my daughter. I remember one guy, he was he was slick, this guy. Slick. And he said, well, sir, would it be okay if I met with you? You know, could we just talk about this? I said, yeah, absolutely. So one Sunday, I think it was um, before or after Mass, I forget. It must have been after Mass. And I asked the parish priest, do you mind if we have one of like the empty classrooms or offices that we could, I need to talk to this guy. Yeah, fine. Use that room over there. So we went in the room. It's just that guy and me. He's the boyfriend after one of my daughters. And um, I said, okay, what do you got to say? And he said his spiel. And I said, okay, well, thank you, but that doesn't change my mind. And you're not dating my daughter. Aibo, Aibo, knockout. It was nothing like that. There was no physicality about it. But I'm pretty sure that he, and in both cases, two different guys, I'm pretty sure they were not prepared for a father who was going to just get in the middle of this and say, nope, not happening. Nope. So do that if you need to. What's that, Cyrus? Nope. Yeah. I mean, dads, just do it. Do what you got to do. Be kind, be magnanimous, be gracious. But if you see your daughter and she's in jeopardy and there's some dude out there trying to, you know what I'm talking about. You get in there and you take care of it. That's just how you do it. Game over, man. Game over. (laughs) It sounds so dramatic. It doesn't have to be dramatic. And usually the guy will slink off anyway. He'll slink away. He'll look for easier prey. He's not going to want to mess around with if the dad is standing guard duty and he's there and he knows that guy is there and the guy knows that he knows he's there. He's not going to wait around for that. He's going to go. It's all in the reflexes. That's right. Okay, I'm done with that. Let's go to Christina now in Buffalo. Good morning, Christina. Good morning. Good morning. Yes, good morning. This is the part where you let me know how it can be of service. Um, it's been six months and my husband of 28 years left me. I oh, found no. out that he was cheating on me and, um, I told him that I didn't want a divorce because we are married through church. We have five kids. You are married in the church, you say? Yes. Okay. We have five children and, uh, I want to work it out. I'm giving him his space. But little by little, I'm afraid that I'm losing him. You need to go to counseling, Christina. You need to, is he willing to go to counseling? Is he, does he want to stay in the marriage or is he outward bound? He's not very communicative right now. At the time, he sees my daughter. She's the youngest and takes her to practices and stuff like that. But Mm -hmm. it's not something that I've, I told him at the beginning that, I didn't want a divorce because I was true to my vows. And um, for right now, I just, I'm going to church. I go to church every Sunday. I'm- I have a recommendation, Christina. My heart goes out to you. It really does. I can, I can only imagine the anguish that you're feeling right now. I'm so sorry you're having to deal with this. I have a suggestion. Do you have a pen handy? Yes. Okay. 
get in touch with the good people at marysadvocates.org. Mary's, M-A-R-Y-S, marysadvocates.org. It's a Catholic apostolate that exists to help spouses just like you who are being uh, walked out on, they're being betrayed by the other spouse. And we're talking about Catholic folk here who really want to keep their marriage. They really want to know, what should I do to help restore my marriage? What can I do to help restore my marriage? What should I not do in the middle of all this? They specialize in this. And the woman, quite frankly, who started this organization, it's exactly what happened to her. He walked out on her, and they had a seemingly happy, successful marriage of many years, and uh, he just walked out. Exactly. Exactly. And so... Yeah, so she and the people there understand what you're going through, okay? Marysadvocates.org. So Get in much. touch with them, okay? Tell them I sent you. I appreciate you. Thank you very All right. much. God bless you. Hang in there. God will work miracles. Just ask him to do that. I'll be right back. <laughs> 